You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Well, welcome to the Vineyard. Good to have you with us today. My name's Rick Francis. I'm the pastor here. It's a delight to serve you here. It's always good to see you. Mm -hmm. We're in a series where we've been looking at uh, Jesus, the pivot in the Gospel of Luke, when he turns and he starts intentionally heading towards Jerusalem. Uh, And we're going to look and continue in that theme today, heading to, toward, for, Jerusalem, whatever preposition you want to use there is fine with me. But we're going to look and see what he, what he does. We find in verse 22, he says, He went on teaching from town to town, town to village, village to town, but keeping on a steady course toward Jerusalem. And this morning's scripture will be coming from the Eugene Peterson's translation called The Message. And uh, I, I just, as I was looking at all the different translations that go through uh, Luke chapter 13, I just found that his was so refreshing. I just really enjoyed looking at that. We see that Jesus as the Son of Man, as the Son of God, previously, as, we, as, you, as you heard last time I preached, he went and he, he was transfigured uh, before Peter, James, and John. And there Elijah and Moses came, and we see Christ in his glorified state. We, we find that this was a, a habit of Jesus of going to the mountain and pray. Uh, Mark says that he goes to a solitary place and there he would pray. He would go someplace apart where he could just be with the Father. Now, since <clears throat> I've looked at the transfiguration, I'm wondering how many times when Jesus would go apart by himself, no one around, and he would be with the Father, I wonder how many times he was transfigured. And just glory, and the Father's glory, His glory, the glory touching glory, and just the communion that would take place. We only have an account because this last time that we're aware of, He took Peter, James, and John. And so as they come up, at least we got eyewitnesses when they finally woke up and saw uh, the glory of the Lord. And so it's, it's the glorious Son of God, the glorious Son of Man, who is now heading towards the cross. He's heading towards Jerusalem. He's heading towards certain death. And he's not doing it because he can't help himself in the sense that he's impotent to change the outcome. He's doing it in full awareness of his power and his strength, full awareness of his sonship, because we have the very same voice from the cloud that was at his baptism there at the transfiguration that says, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. And so Luke kind of climaxed that. And as as we head now toward Jerusalem, the key is when when you know you're in your last weeks of life, you're trying to prepare your disciples, those that are going to follow after you. You're investing in them. And so the teaching time, the, the exampling, the modeling, the demonstrating time has got to increase as, as they go through. I, I can't imagine the intensity level. If only the disciples had a clue, I bet they would have really paid attention. They probably would have just gone on a, a sleepless journey to just listen and 
watch and observe and try to absorb everything that Jesus was going to do, but they were clueless still. And so we go and we pick up in Luke chapter 13. We'll begin reading at verse 10. You know, I've cut it down to 25 verses today, so you're blessed. It's still over my preaching homiletical course limits, so I'm still in violation. From the message. He was teaching in one of the meeting places on the Sabbath. There was a woman present so twisted and bent over with arthritis that she couldn't even look up. She had been afflicted with this for 18 years. When Jesus saw her, he called her over. Woman, you are free. He laid his hands on her and suddenly she was standing straight and tall, giving glory to God. The meeting place president, the ruler of the synagogue, furious because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the congregation, Six days have been defined as work days. Come on one of the six if you want to be healed, but not on the seventh, the Sabbath. But Jesus shot back. I kind of like the way Eugene puts that. (laughs) You frauds. Other places translated, you hypocrites. You frauds. Each Sabbath, every one of you regularly unties your cow or donkey from its stall, leads it out for water, and thinks nothing of it. So why isn't it all right for me to untie this daughter of Abraham and lead her from the stall where Satan has had her tied these 18 years? When he put it that way, his critics were left looking quite silly and red-faced. The congregation was delighted and cheered him on. I like the the NIV says, and and they rejoice for all the glorious things that was done by him. Amen. Mm. So here we have a woman for 18 years has had this infirmity, this condition. Uh, she, couldn't even, she couldn't even look up to see Jesus. The, the crippling of the arthritis was so severe that she was bent over. She couldn't even get her eyeballs up to, to connect with Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus saw her. Jesus saw her. Do you notice how Jesus seems to always see the one that's kind of in the worst shape? His heart goes for the lost. His heart goes out for the broken. His heart goes out for the sick, the wounded, the ones that need a physician. And Jesus sees her in her condition and he calls her to come over. She comes over to him. I can hear T.D. Jakes right now. Oh, yeah. Woman! Thou art loosed. (laughs) And it's such a powerful sermon by T.D. Jakes, you know, where he he looks at this. And and Jesus proclaims her freedom from from the bondage that has kept her bent over. It's really interesting because we find here, if if you're a student of healing, you, you always like to look at all the different places and see how Jesus healed this time. Because oftentimes he doesn't do it the same way. 
You know, how did he do it this time? This time, you know, who sinned? This person or, or the parents? You know, trying to get the cause and effect and try to understand healing. I don't think we ever get there. Healing's always going to be somewhat mysterious, but it's always glorious. And so Jesus says she has been bound 18 years by Satan. Hmm. Eugene translates arthritis. That's a physical descriptor of what was happening in her body. Jesus is looking at her, her true condition and sees it as spiritual, that Satan has bound her. This has been something that I've really been interested in for quite some time now as I've, I've been exposed to a book called Regions of Captivity where, where I've looked and, and seen that there's a lot of good people, a lot of Christian people that are bound and they're caught and they're captive and <clears throat> they need to be freed. And I, I thought, isn't this interesting? That the word that Jesus uses in the healing of this woman who's bound 18 years by Satan is that you are free. You're loosed. You're untied from the thing that has been tethered to you that's causing your physical condition. I just think that is so incredible. It's a, it's a declaration. But then he follows, follows it up with touching her. She doesn't come straight until he lays his hands upon her. And then she comes and she stands straight. And when she comes for the first time in 18 years that she's fully vertical, she just continues to go with vertical praise to God. And she praises the Lord, spontaneous praise, just worshiping, worshiping the Lord. Just amazing. I love this healing. You know, matter of fact, I want to use it and make a formula out of it. Let's make a formula out of this, okay? We see someone, we call them over, we, we declare something, then we lay hands on them, and they get healed. But then Jesus does it different. You never know how he's going to do it. But the way he does it is always so beautiful and is so wonderful. And I love that as we see this. She's bound, he sees, he lays hands, she's straight, she gives glory. And we have someone who's been in a captive state for 18 years who's set free. And I believe in these last days, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to put again a, a holy, holy kingdom Navy SEAL team <laughs> that's going to go out and rescue people that are captive. And it's not because they can do 500 push-ups. It's going to be because they've spiritually exercised and they've been in his presence and they spent time with him and they made themselves available to see. You know, I think one of the reasons we don't see as many miracles and healings today is because we don't see. Because most of the time we're so preoccupied with ourself and how I'm doing that we never even get outward focused to see how those around us are doing. Have you ever noticed, I, I find oftentimes when I'm going into Meyer to do one of those little grocery runs, 
that all I'm thinking about is what I need, what I need, what I need. Where is it? How can I get it and get through the line and get out of this parking lot as fast as possible? For me, I don't, I don't know if it's my maleness, but it's like, let's hunt it, let's find it, let's bag it, and let's get it home. All the while, there's probably a, a lot of need that's around that I don't see because I've got such tunnel vision on my task and my purpose that I don't see it. <clears throat> now, I love Ann's testimony. I heard it earlier in the week, and uh, just, just so, so good. So good. The Lord's doing such a wonderful thing. And from Chuck's message last week, I, 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 it's just getting reinforced that if we'll, if we'll allow ourselves to be available, the Lord will work his kingdom purposes through us to those that are around us. Right on. I can't emphasize that enough. So I, I think that's wonderful. You know, <clears throat> now, we don't want to heal on the Sabbath because we're religious. And so we're, our religious, the traditions of men will trump the commands of God. And it's like, oh, We've got to get out of our religious nonsense and into spiritual kingdom reality of what's going on. So the next portion, Jesus has just demonstrated the kingdom. Everybody's praising God. And then he goes on, how can I picture God's kingdom for you? What kind of story can I use? <clears throat> it's like a pine nut. <laughs> Instead of a mustard seed, Eugene takes a little liberty and says a pine nut that a man plants in his front yard. It grows into a huge pine tree with thick branches and eagles build nests in it. He tried again. How can I picture God's kingdom? It's like yeast that works, that a woman works into enough dough for three loaves of bread and waits while the dough rises. <clears throat> Just on the surface, he's saying what happens with the kingdom? It may start small as a seed, but it ends up growing and growing and growing and growing. And it becomes a huge tree. It might be a little leaven that comes into the loaf, enough yeast to make uh, <laughs> three loaves of bread but then you have to wait for it to rise. And I never saw this. I always, saw, you know, I always think he's saying this, the kingdom is, is starts small, but it gets big. Or it, it comes in and it, and it penetrates until it permeates the whole loaf. All of, all of the ingredients for bread until it just... But here's the thing that stuck out and you wait for it to rise. A pine tree doesn't grow like that. And yeast doesn't leaven like that. You have to wait for it to rise. And it's like, okay, let's get infected. Let's get planting. Let's water the seed. Let's get some, uh, some wonderful miracle grow 
put on, on these things. And let's, let's see this stuff develop. And that brings us to the verse that we started with. <clears throat> he went on teaching from town to village, village to town, but keeping on a steady course toward Jerusalem. So he's hitting the towns and the villages between where he was and where he's headed, Jerusalem. And as he's doing it, he's teaching and he's healing and he's teaching and he's healing. He's teaching and he's healing. And he's casting out devils. Hmm. How do you know that? We'll see here in just a second. So as he's going along the way, there's a bystander who says, Master, will only a few be saved? He said, whether few or many is none of your business. Oh, man, I love you, Gene. <laughs> We're always asking stuff that's none of our business, aren't we? <laughs> We're asking the wrong questions. We're, we, we see it for others. We want to know the big thing. But here, Jesus puts it right back on focus. Put your mind on your life with God. The way to life to God is vigorous and requires your total attention. Mm. <clears throat> you know, when I see something like this, I, I, I can't help but think of all my friends that will argue end times theology stuff and will argue uh, theological questions and We'll have debates that go on endlessly on stuff that, frankly, no human being's ever going to figure out. But we sure can waste a lot of time and a lot of our energy trying to focus on everything but what really is important, and that is, how am I doing with God? What's my life with God becoming? It requires your total attention. Give it all. And it's vigorous. Sometimes, you know, you get a grace wave and you're riding that grace wave and everything seems easy. It's like everything, somebody's got a problem, the Lord gives you and you press the easy button and it's solved and oh, just love that. Can I have a whole bunch of those this week? Boom, boom, boom. And then you forget, this is vigorous. You know, this is, this is not something that's on the easy path. We, we thank God for oasis. We thank God for seasons of rest. But sometimes this, is, this can get kind of rugged. The key is making sure that we're working with the energy that he supplies. If we're doing it with our own energy source, we will be depleted and burnt out before we even get halfway down the road. We need to continue to wait as the kingdom rises and continue to work <clears throat> within the strength that he provides. So he continues, a lot of you are going to assume that you'll sit down to God's salvation banquet just because you've been hanging around the neighborhood all your lives. <laughs> well, one day you're going to be banging on the door wanting to get in, but you'll find the door locked and the master saying, sorry, you're not on my guest list. Ooh, ooh, cold, harsh. 
What happened to compassionate, loving Jesus? Hmm. Hmm. You'll find that the Lord has a lot of strong things that he says about those that just want to be halfway. Uh, In Revelation, he calls it lukewarm. I would rather that you be hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. And I go, what? And a lot of times we hang out around the church. We hang out around religious organizations. We do nice things. We we do all sorts of stuff like that. and, And we don't really know him. So he continues. You'll protest, but we've known you all our lives. Only to be interrupted with his abrupt, your kind of knowing can hardly be called knowing. You don't know the first thing about me. Whoa. It's not going to be an exam where you're going to be tested on the historicity of the Jesus of Nazareth. You're not going to be, how much do you know about the Bible? How much do you know about Jesus? How much do you know about church or religion? It's not going to be about how much you know about. It's how much have you experientially known? How much have you known because you have rubbed shoulders, you've held hands, you've been together? How well do you know me? Even the demons believe in Jesus. They know him, but they have never experienced him. It's the experiential knowledge, the knowledge that comes through two becoming one. It's the oneness that seems to be so significant in Jesus' heart. And he's trying to get that through his disciples as he's spending his last weeks with them. They're They're still immature. They're still not understanding it. They're still not getting everything about the kingdom. And neither are we, really. We're still growing in our understanding of the kingdom. You don't know the first thing about me. To me, it's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call to all folks that attend church and kind of have a halfway in, halfway out kind of thing where we're trying to have as much fun and pleasure in the world and yet just enough uh, religious experience so that we make sure that we don't blow it and lose our insurance policy at the end. Yeah. You don't know the first thing about me. That's when you'll find yourselves out in the cold, strangers to grace. Mm. Grace is the key to experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. And that's why the the born-again experience that we oftentimes talk about is so true. Because there's a, there's a moment when something connects and we go from knowing about him to knowing him. And that's, that's a wonderful, wonderful experience. You'll watch Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets march into God's kingdom. You'll watch outsiders stream in from east, west, north, and south and sit down at the table of God's kingdom.
And all the time you'll be outside looking in, wondering what happened. This is the great reversal. The last in line put at the head of the line and the so-called first ending up last. Mm. The great reversal. Isn't it so true of the kingdom? The kingdom does not work the way our reality here on this world seems to work. And so we find that the humble are the ones that get exalted. And the ones who are puffed up in their pride are the ones who get humbled. And it just continues to work that way. The first, last, and the last first. Yeah, not time to go into that today. So we hit this whole thing of knowing. How do we know him? And then it gets interrupted as he's going from village to town, town to village, all of a sudden some Pharisees come up and said, Herod's after you. Just then some Pharisees came up and said, run for your life. Herod's on the hunt. He's out to kill you. Jesus said, tell that fox that I have no time for him right now. (laughs) The kingdom schedule is full. There's no appointments for Herod. Today and tomorrow, I'm busy cleaning, clearing out the demons and healing the sick. And on the third day, I'm wrapping things up. Besides, it's not proper for a prophet to come to a bad end outside of Jerusalem, the place where the prophets are killed and stoned. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So here you think you're doing something good for Jesus. Hey, Jesus, heads up. Herod's after you. You know, how many times do we have that? Hey, the devil's mad at you. He's going to be after you. Oh, thanks. Who's got time for the devil? Yeah. We're, we're out doing Father's work. We're out doing kingdom activity. And in the midst of doing kingdom activity, what we're doing, we're removing the demons. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And so we're destroying the works of the devil and we're healing the sick. Which goes back to our first passage. Here was a healing that was tied into a spiritual bondage to Satan that Satan had bound. So Jesus continued on mission all the way to Jerusalem. He didn't say, well, you know, we're going to have a pretty rough week, week of the Passion. I think I'll fly down to Cancun, have a week of R&R, and then I'll be ready to go. No, he is busy doing what he sees his father doing. He's doing his father's will. He's teaching and proclaiming and discipling his followers And he's getting them ready for his departure. And he's being true to the very end. It's not an end that he goes (laughs) without full identity and full glory. He knows who he is. And as he's going into that direction, he says this to Jerusalem. I find this so interesting. Knowing the historical reality of Jerusalem and how they kill and stone the prophets that the Lord sends them. Here's what he says. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
killer of prophets, abuser of the messengers of God. How often I've longed to gather your children, gather your children like a hen, her brood safe under her wings, but you refused and turned away. Now it's too late. You won't see me again until the day you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right on. Mm. The contrast in, in this poetical passage that Jesus is speaking here is between the loving acceptance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to all those who would come to Christ, all those that would come home to the Father. There's a a loving, absolute acceptance. There's a desire and a compassion to gather them and to love them and to protect them and to just to be a securing love in their lives. But God always gives us choice. Oh, yeah. You are always free to choose not to receive. You can reject every good and perfect gift that the Lord wants to give you. You can reject it and turn away. Mm -hmm. Now, as parents, when that happens with our kids, it breaks our heart. And to me, it, it... that parallel helps me understand the brokenness that Jesus is experiencing at this point, knowing that his father, love flowing through him, wants to gather his chosen people back. But they choose to reject and to turn away. And the sorrow, as you see Jesus looking over Jerusalem and weeping for Jerusalem, he weeps for each one of us. If we're, if we're happy with the level of knowing him, he wants us to know him more. Do you realize that you will never touch bottom in the ocean of knowing the love of God? Knowing who he is, you will always be developing. That's why we regularly come together because we understand and value the opportunity of knowing him in a deeper and deeper way. I love how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 3, 17, 18, about going from glory to glory with an ever-increasing glory. There's an intimacy with him that you'll continually be experiencing. And I believe it'll be for all eternity. I don't think you're going to just say, okay, I'm going to try to know Jesus a little better while I'm down here because when I get there, I'll know everything. Well, we'll know everything in one sense, but in another sense, we'll be totally snockered by the beauty of seeing his revelation unveiled eon after eon. Hmm. So Jesus is heading for Jerusalem. He's going to go to his death. He's going to be rejected by his people. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. And on the third day, he's going to rise. Right on. In the meantime, he's busy about his father's business. He's heading to Jerusalem, but he's healing people in their need. He's 
removing demons. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's teaching on the way. He's teaching every time somebody asks a question, well, how many is going to get saved? And he brings us back on point. Focus on your relationship with me, and out of that will spread my love to others. Because first, my love has to secure your life before you will ever stop being so inward focused, and then you will be able to be outward focused and see as Father sees. Hmm. So go on, town to town, village to village, hoping that people will get a clue and get to know him, and that it would be true that none of us would be a stranger to grace. Let's pray. You're better than we ever thought. We can't even begin to imagine how good you are, Lord. How faithful and true and glorious is your love. Hmm. We'll never be able to fully comprehend. But we can grow just as the kingdom grows in us. Like leaven, like a seed that's been planted. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to water our lives today. We pray for new, new branches and new fruit. We pray for greater fruitfulness. Whether this is a season, Lord, that you need to prune us so that we can bear more fruit, or whether this is a season that it's time to harvest some of this fruit that you so patiently, so patiently been working in us. I pray, Father, that you would release today a spirit of grace to receive to believe and to love. So come. Come, Holy Spirit. Glorify Jesus in this place. Release the fullness of his authority as the king of his glorious kingdom. We welcome the ministry of your ministering servants. We we welcome the ministry of your angelic representatives. We say, Lord, do everything that's in your heart to do for us today. I had a strong sense as as I was just spending time with the Lord this morning that we need to once again affirm and declare God's absolute sovereign power to protect us from evil. I was going through the Lord's Prayer this morning and as I got to that place, And lead us not into temptation. And it's like, oh, we need to get a revelation that the Holy Spirit is here to lead us into the path of life in light and not in darkness. And the things that tempt us, we set ourselves up for, and he wants to deliver us and lead us not into those things, but deliver us from evil. And I just found myself this morning just rejoicing in the power and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver us from evil. Whether we're talking addictions, whether we're talking habits, patterns, 
uh, whatever it is, hatred in our heart, places where unforgiveness resides, I am so confident in the, uh, the total package of Jesus's death, resurrection and ascension that he is standing and interceding for us and that evil has no right, no right to tamper with God's kids. None, not at all. So if you've been tampered with, I'm praying for a fresh seal of the Holy Spirit, a tamper-proof seal that would be upon your life, that you would see that and know, ha, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Right on. Greater is the love of my Father than the hatred of my strongest enemy. Let's stand and sing. And as you just open your hearts, just receive the ministry that the Lord Jesus wants to do for you. And at the end of the song, you feel free to wander about the cabin and minister to those that the Lord Jesus lays on your heart. If you have a specific need and you want prayer, feel free to come to the front. We will happy to pray for you. God bless you as we sing. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.